we come to God's Word, the preaching of God's Word. Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Hear the Word of God. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region around the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Let's pray. O Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, your inspired word, your life-giving word, and we pray now that you would open it to us, that you would write it on our hearts, embed it deeply in our hearts and on our understanding, that we may be transformed by it and directed by it, and that we may exalt you and present you by it. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. John mentions here the kingdom of heaven. Kingship is strange to us. Do you remember the dialogue, if you've seen uh, the Monty Python movie, uh, where King Arthur is proceeding to some castle and he comes upon some peasants. And what they exchange with one another is funny because it's people with peasants who have 20th century minds encountering Arthur, who still thinks in a 12th century way. And he says, I am Arthur, king of the Britons. Who are the Britons? is the response. Why, we're all Britons. And I am your king. And then they say, well, I didn't vote for you. You don't vote for king. Well, how did you become king then? You can see, and it's funny, because it doesn't go together. And that's what makes things funny. Uh, they, they can't imagine, these, these peasants in the muck in the 12th century, they can't imagine, nonetheless, uh, any form of government that isn't elective, that isn't representative. Whereas 12th century Arthur 
can't imagine the right to rule that doesn't come by combat and noble lineage. The way you are governed influences, shapes the way that you think. If you, if, you, if you live in a democracy and you grow up in a democracy, you think in a democratic way. If you, if, you, if you live under a tyranny and you've grown up under a tyranny, you think in a slavish way. Unless you're on top, in which case you think in a despotic way. We are democratic people through and through. Not only in our government, but also in our behavior and our attitudes. Our attitudes to ourselves, to one another, and even to God. In a democracy, we are all equal, and no one has the right to rule anyone, to tell anyone what to do, uh, except uh, uh, by consent. But as Christians, we're not simply democratic. We are citizens of two kingdoms at the same time, uh, our particular earthly kingdom and, and God's heavenly kingdom. But both kingdoms demand total allegiance. God's kingdom demands total allegiance because he's the creator and he has creator rights over us and everything. It's right that he received total allegiance. Uh, earthly kingdoms demand total allegiance because they're sinful, because they're made up of sinners and they're ruled by sinners for sinful ends. Uh, so their demands, of course, conflict because it's not supposed to be that way. Both of them say, do not murder. Both of them say, pay your taxes. But on some things, they, they diverge. The heavenly kingdom says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love the Lord your God above all things and serve him only. The earthly kingdom says, these days, around here, honor homosexual relationships. Um, uh, respect people clearly with mental illness as though it's a perfectly normal thing. Abortion is good, and it is a woman's right. And did I mention that it's good? This is what we're told. And you have to believe these things if you're going to live a life compatible with democratic society, or so we're told. And these things conflict, these kingdoms. Our hearts Therefore, even if not in these radical things, but in smaller things, our hearts are pulled between God and politics. Which is your chief love is the question that confronts us. Which has ultimate authority, God or king, God or country? Sometimes we have to face that. Which has the chief influence over how you see yourself, how you see your relationship with others, how you see yourself your relationship with God and the world. But we are subjects of the king before we are citizens of our democracy. He is the perfect ruler. He loves us perfectly. He knows what is good for us, exactly what, and in particular, what is good for us. And he is almighty in doing that good for us. Your view of all things must be shaped fundamentally by your citizenship in the kingdom of God. So it is good news when John the baptizer comes preaching, repent, 
for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He says the kingdom of heaven, uh, elsewhere it's called the kingdom of God, there's no difference. As Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience, and so out of respect for Jewish sensibil sensibilities, he refers to the kingdom of heaven, but heaven is God. Um, Matthew's Jewish readers understand that God is king. He is their king and he is king. God is king over Israel. Isaiah 43, I am the Lord, your holy one, Israel's creator, your king. Right? He is king because he is the creator. He created all things, he rules all things. But they also know that he is king over all the earth. He is king of kings, king over all kings. Psalm 103, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. And because of this, he can judge. He can judge not only Israel, but he can judge all the nations of the earth. And we see this in the Old Testament. You don't have to wait till the book of Revelation. You can see it in the Old Testament. What is the flood but a judge, a judgment over all the peoples and all the nations of the earth? And he can do this because he created all peoples and all nations. Uh, the conquest of Canaan, their sin, those nations, their sin had reached its fullness. So the God of all nations uh, drives them out. He brings his holy elect nation in and drives them out for their sins. And then, of course, he sends Jonah uh, to Nineveh, which is way over like in Spain. Uh, but, but, but in his mercy, he sends the word of judgment to them. Repent or judgment will come upon you. And he can do that because he's the God of all nations. Good news, they did. But he tells his people that the day is coming when his kingship will take a new form. When God created Adam, he made him king over all the earth. God was to reign through him. God was reigning through Adam, who was king of the earth. And, and all Adam's descendants after him, because God gave Adam and all those descending from him the command, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and have dominion, rule over all the earth. But it didn't go that way because the fall. The fall uh, turned our hearts away from God and towards self. Uh, everything followed Satan into his rebellion against God's rule. Uh, God is still ruler over all creation because he's still the creator. But his creation is in rebellion. The history of redemption, brothers and sisters, is the history of God putting down the rebellion of sin against his kingdom. And it's, it's the history of his reestablishing his kingdom. So this kingdom that he reestablishes has a king, and that king is Jesus. Starts off with the, the kingdom of Israel, David, Solomon, who point forward to Christ. They're pictures of Christ. There's an anticipation of the son of David who will sit on David's throne forever, and that is Christ. And so here, John the herald of this king announces his coming. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus is that king. He's born of the royal line in the tribe of Judah. He, his, his line, we have these, these genealogies because it shows that he has uh, David's royal line in both sides of, of his lineage. He's descended from David. And the miracles he comes to, it's not like miracles just happened all the time back then in Bible times. Oh, miracles all the time. No, uh, 
there was, this is a special period of miracles. It was a special period in the time of Moses, in the time of uh, Elijah and Elisha, and, and now a special time in the time of Christ. And here uh, the, the king is arriving, and the miracles are showing his royal authority over, um, over the creation. In fact, the Bible calls them signs of the kingdom. The king has come, and he has authority over demons, authority over nature, authority over sickness and death. The miracles attest to this. And then after, after the cross, we have the ascension, and there he ascends, not just into heaven, but to the, he is enthroned in heaven at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. He is King Jesus. He is over all, and he is over you. And this kingdom of God has citizens. Having introduced this royal theme of the kingdom of God, Matthew quotes Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. Uh, the messenger uh, has come ahead to prepare the way. The messenger John, uh, the, who is the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. In the ancient Near East, when a king visited one of his cities, an emissary of the king would go ahead of him to prepare the way right, to, so that it was fit for him, uh, to pre pre prepare a place for him and to prepare the people for his arrival. So he didn't come into town and everyone's going about their business and everything, you know, things in the street and, oh, it's, it's the king. <laughs> no, the king is coming. The emissary prepares the way, and you make everything right. You make everything clean. You make everything straight and square. Uh, don't you do this when you have guests? This is a normal and ordinary human thing. Grandma's coming. We have to clean the house, right? And everything has to be just, that's when, when, I, when I was a kid, <laughs> grandma came. And, oh, my goodness, why isn't it like this all the time? I thought to myself, well, I knew, and I was a big part of it. Or, or, or you, have, you have guests coming, and, 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 and you get rid of the cobwebs in the corner, which ordinarily you don't see, but now they glare at you because guests are coming, and you dust, you even dust, right? Because guests. Well, this is the same way it was with the king. And it was a kind of advanced team. When the president comes in, comes in to speak in a place, an advanced team goes in ahead of him and they make sure that everything is just right and everything is staged right and the right people are in the right place and there's the right backdrop for the president speaking and, and everything's going to be smooth and the transitions will be smooth, the advanced team, so everything's just right. But that is about managing the appearances of the president for the people. This is about managing the appearance of the people for the king, because it's not a democracy. But this is a king and a coming and a kingdom of a different kind. Notice how the people are to prepare themselves, not outwardly wash your clothes, straighten up the road, but inwardly, spiritually, they need a changed heart. The concern is not for clean streets, but for clean hearts for this king, this no ordinary king. And this preparation is gracious. In a sense, it's something one does oneself, right? Repent, it's in the imperative. Repent, you, repent now, do it, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
But one repents in view fundamentally of what God does. He baptizes. He baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Notice the people do not baptize themselves. They are baptized, passive voice. Baptism is not something you do to make a statement to other people. It's not something you do to make a statement to God about your faith and, and your changed ways. No, passive voice. They were baptized. John came baptizing them. Uh, it's not some self-cleansing ritual such as uh, the Jews at the time did. They would, they would baptize. They would clean uh, utensils they used, uh, even couches that they sit on. They would baptize in some way or another, uh, a way of ritually cleansing things. Uh, but this is something God does. God's prophet baptizes them. Because they must be washed, they must be sprinkled, they must be cleansed, not just by the water, but by the blood of Christ and the Spirit of God. Verse 11, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, not just with water. And it must be so because this king is holy. Uh, Notice verse 6. Uh, they came confessing. They just, they, they, it's not, ooh, like, ooh, the president is here. Let's go out and see the president. Uh, or, ooh, King Charles is making a stop in America. I, went, I mean, I did this with Queen Elizabeth uh, when she came to Ontario, and, and I saw her from a distance, not too far a distance, because I was able to cry out and say, God bless you, your majesty. She didn't hear me. But, but I did the same thing with Prince Charles when he came to Ottawa, opening a police station. I went out, and I was there on the line, and uh, uh, Charles came by. Diana was on the other side, and, uh, and I shook his hand, and I said, God bless your highness. I knew he's highness, she's majesty, right? God bless your highness. And then some girls over here squealed and distracted him. But then he walked further down. He turned and looked at me and said, thank you. But I didn't bathe in any particular way. I don't remember if I wore any particular thing. I didn't have to go through any preparation, even though he's Prince Charles, right? One day King Charles. But this king is holy, and so you come confessing. And they were baptized by him, verse 6, in the Jordan, confessing their sins. And verse 11 I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am unworthy to carry. Not just whose book I am unworthy to carry, uh, whose glass I am am worthy to hand to him. Sandals, people they had, and even today, they have contempt for feet and footwear. Remember when George W. Bush was, vi- was visiting after the Iraq war? He was in Iraq and somebody took off his sandal and threw it at him. Took off his shoe. It was, a, it, was, it was not just whatever he could get his hands on. It was a shoe to put him under his feet, as it were. Right? And, and, and this goes way back. Nothing changes in the Middle East. And this goes way, way, way back. Uh, so his sandals I am unworthy to carry. He is a genuinely worthy king. His kingdom is a righteous kingdom, and his rule is a righteous rule. And he rules over the righteous. Verse 8, 
bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Verse 10, every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Verse 12, he will gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. There's an old song that says, this train, talking about the church, this train is bound for glory, this train. This train is bound for glory, this train. This train is bound for glory. Don't carry none but the righteous and the holy. And you might be thinking, but I am not righteous. I know myself well enough, and it doesn't take much to know that I am not righteous. Who is worthy of such a king? And the psalmists ask the same question in Psalm 15. Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? Who can say, I am lovely, wholesome wheat, uh, ready for the king's barn? Now, you may be saying, I look at myself and I see only chaff. I shudder to think what God in his awesome holiness sees when he looks upon me. But he graciously makes his people worthy. He makes them worthy. They confess their sins, they repent, but the worthiness is from him. He lifts you up. 1 Peter 5, 6, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in time. Right? When you come before an ancient Near Easter king, you, you, don't, you don't just come waltzing up, look him in the eye and say, hey, king, how's it been? No. Your, first of all, your head is not above his head ever. And, and you, be, you come, you do not make eye contact and you bow low. And everyone knew this. But this king lifts your head, right? He lifts your, stand in my presence. Look me in the eye as though you were my own son or daughter. This is what this king does. And he purifies you, Malachi 3.3. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. In righteousness, right? What a thing to say. But he makes them righteous. He purifies them. And he fits you for his presence. He fits you for his service. Ephesians 4, he gave, he himself gave pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Not he gave pastors and teachers for the work of ministry. And the rest of you, just be glad you can be around. No, no. He gave pastors and teacher, teachers for the equipping of the saints, the holy ones, the ones he made holy. For the work of ministry, all of us are fitted for the work of ministry. Not just the high priests, not, the, not just the priests. We're all priests now and sons of Levi and fitted for the work of ministry. Democratic thinking says it is slavish, it is beneath human dignity to serve a king as subject as opposed to uh, a free citizen. But to serve a great, kings of the earth, that may be true, but to serve a great king is ennobling and elevating. You'll notice Arthur, King Arthur, we mentioned King Arthur, his knights of the round table, they didn't say, why can't I be king? I'm just waiting for my time to off this guy and put myself on the throne. No, because, because why should I serve when I can be served? No, no, no. Uh, to serve a righteous king they knew was elevating and ennobling. And the king of kings, superlatively so. By serving God, you grow in godliness. 
and growing in godliness, you participate in the dignity of the king, the nobility of the king. As a democratic person, you think your world begins and ends with you and revolves around you, your rights, your goals, your opinions, because democracy and everyone's equal and everyone's equally important, which to me means I am more important than everyone else. And you are sure that God respects your rights and shares your goals and opinions, because democracy. I'm all for representative democracy, don't get me wrong. But first and foremost, you belong to a kingdom. And first and foremost, you are the subject of a king. And this means two things. First of all, his word is your law. When you face a moral question, and we all face a moral question all the time, moral questions, you don't consult your feelings. Well, how do I feel about this? No. You ask, what does God say? Which way should I go? What does God say? What should I do? What does God say? Your opinions are only that, opinions, until they're confirmed by his truth. And so, brothers and sisters, I, I, I have known over the last dozen years or more that evangelicals just don't know the word of God anymore. Uh, they believe in following God rather than themselves, but they don't know what God says. Yeah, they, they, they'll know a, a, a popular passage here or there, but the scriptures, Genesis to Revelation, it, it's, it's, it should be where you dwell, the way you know your neighborhood. You know when you're coming home from a, a, a long trip and, and you get into start familiar, familiar streets and you feel differently. I'm home. These streets are familiar. And you don't need to look at signs. You just know. You know where everything is. Uh, you need to go to CVS or you need to go to the, the DMV. You don't have to look it up on the internet. You just know. And the Bible should be that way for you. You just know your way around. And you might even know citations. You need to be immersed and saturated in the Word of God. It starts now. If it hasn't started, it can start now. And this way, His Word is your law. And He sets your direction. Number two, He sets your direction. He sets your designs and your purpose. You don't ask, what am I going to do with my life? No, you ask, what is God calling me to do with my life? I've been teaching for 18 years or more uh, college students, and that's that time of life when you're going, what am I going to do? I pick a major because it's related to what I want to do with my life, what I'm going to do professionally. It may not always be the same throughout life, but it's a start. Um, is, 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 am I a math and science person? Am I a humanities person? Am I a trades person? What, what? But you don't ask, what, what do I want to do? You say, what does God call me to do? What is he equipping me to do? How am I to serve this king with my life? I only have one life. Only one life. It will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And he tells you what that is. So in his service, all your work is important. All your work is even glorious. Because in Christ, in obedience, it becomes God's work. It's not just what you choose to do with your 
flash of a life. It is his service in his kingdom, according to his will. And it's not just pastors and missionaries. That's, that's noble calling indeed. That's important work. But all service is royal service and therefore is important service if it's in God's service. It is God's How do I know it's, in, it's God's work? Uh, uh, not just anything you do is God's service because you devote it to him. Right? It's God's own work and it is noble if it is first of all done righteously. And second of all, if it is a blessing to people. Obviously, if you're working for Tinder, that's not. No, that's not, that can't be God's service. But if you're working for the power company, or if you're, or if you're working for, 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 in the service industry, coffee, hotels, if you're working in, in accounts receivable, if you're working in, in all sorts of legitimate callings that help people lead good lives. It helps facilitate people serving God. It helps facilitate people lead good lives. And if it shows them the goodness and purity of God, then it's legitimate work. It's kingdom work. God created this world a kingdom, not a democracy, not an anarchy, but a kingdom. And the king is Jesus, the son of God and the redeemer of God's elect. It is satisfying to know that God is the king and you are in his kingdom. And that kingdom is not only honoring to him, but it's good for you. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this awesome truth that you would take these wretches, these ruins, and make them your own and... Fit us and purify us and prepare us and set us to work in your kingdom, your kingdom as royal servants, doing your will for your glory, magnifying your name in the world through things great and humble. And Father, we pray that you would show us, continue to show us this, what this is. If it changes, show us that. And Give us hearts ever more devoted to you and your service and your glory in all these things. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.